0: morning everyone and it's my pleasure uh, to welcome today's podcast guest for the art business podcast um, Khalil Akar and uh, Khalil is the director of a really interesting um, fairly recent gallery uh, in David Street in Mayfair just down from Claridge's and uh, in the midst of other important galleries. Um, This is Signature Art Gallery uh, which as you'll see in the course of the podcast um, specializes in in, in African uh, modern and contemporary art. Uh, so Khalil, I, I always start with by the, the, the listeners are quite interested in you know where you're coming from in terms of uh, what you what your, your likes and dislikes. So I'd I, I start by asking you, you know what your do you have a favorite city in the world and, and maybe your reasons
1: for that? Hello David, thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah in regards to my favorite city, I would pick Lisbon just for the main reason that when I actually visited it, I didn't do any research prior to going. So I wasn't sure what to expect. And then when I actually went there, it just it just blew me away. You have everything, you have modern architecture, you have uh, obviously the more traditional architecture and the city itself was just very, very lively, very buzzing. It was just a beautiful city. and. That's why I think Lisbon would be my favorite city that I visited. I've never been to Portugal, let
0: alone Lisbon, and it's obviously on my list of places to go. Particularly Lisbon, because I've heard from other art people like yourself about it being a great art city. Do you remember,
1: did you visit galleries or? No, when I went to Lisbon, uh, I hadn't visited no Mm -hmm. galleries. It was quite a short trip. Mm -hmm. But we visited quite a few of the architectural places. Uh, mm-hmm. What I do like to do on trips is to visit quite a few, mainly arch- architectural buildings, especially sure. like when you'd go to, if you're interested in architecture, obviously Barcelona. Uh, that's another great city for that. And mainly like more historical places. That's how I try to tend to focus on holidays. I think maybe as well that's why I loved Lisbon, because it's so historical. It's not... You don't really have a lot of that fakeness to it, like a lot of the modern cities do have these days. So it's all very authentic. It's a, it always sounds very beautiful. And, um,
0: um, well, you, you, you've already said that you're interested in buildings. Do you have a kind of favorite building? And maybe you have, like, an older building and maybe a more contemporary one.
1: Uh, <laughs> my favorite piece of... You can call it a building... Uh, or piece of architecture is in Siem Reap in Cambodia, the, what's it called, the temple. Remember Just the name? Just the name. Um,
0: I've never been to Cambodia. Um, obviously, I've seen images and uh, read quite a lot of...
1: Angkor Wat, sorry. Angkor Wat. So, yeah, so, and Angkor Wat, so that's where they filmed oh, yeah. Uh, to yeah right? Very famous, yeah. And uh, so I visited uh, Siem Reap for two days as a city. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, but that, when you go there, if you ever do go, well, like, it's one of the highest recommendations I can ever give because you just get blown away. And, and did you say it was used in a film? Yes, it was used in Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider. Oh really and yeah and now I remember but I didn't realize that since that was the location <laughs> yeah and it's insane like honestly you go it's massive yeah, yeah. And I mean for anybody that loves pictures as well, like there are so many spots to take photos mm-hmm. just because it's so beautiful.
0: Yes. And, and is it is it is it a building, obviously
1: a sacred building? What materials are used to build it? So they're all so there are rocks that were used. Mm-hmm. So all of this was all very ancient. Yeah. So it's all the all the construction <laughs> ways that they used back then. Hence, using it as a film
0: location for for, for exactly. Tomb Raid. <laughs> no, exactly. and, and, and is there any like art in
1: it, or is it all building? All no, no, it's it's all architecture only. Mm. Uh, it's still in its the state yes like it's untouched
0: and that would be buddhism would it a buddhist temple
1: yes i yeah. believe so it would be uh but are they, so 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 there's no monks no images of the buddha in there today no no yeah. no we have we had a few monks that were mm. there so they roamed around mm. and but no i don't remember any images there were a few images of angelina jolie though. <laughs> it's like uh, it's a bit like visiting Ida. English heritage houses that were in
0: Downton Abbey. It's a, it's a big industry, tourist industry today. And 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 do you listen to music, Khalil? Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously one's taste in both art and music. Maybe architecture change all the time. But I just wonder whether you,
1: is music important to you? Music is not important to okay. me. I do listen occasionally to a few songs. Mm-hmm. Uh but to be honest, I mean going to concerts and things is not even my thing, sure. But when I do tend to listen, I mean really it's more like random things that you'd find. I mean I, I don't even have a genre that I would really love. Like a lot of the time though I tend to like few artists from R and B, pop that sense, but also like I'd love to listen to jazz, for mm. example. Like that's something I would like I like doing, to go to jazz you can call them concerts but you know when you just go yeah to just like go to places. clubs exactly. well, there's lots of them in london obviously exactly. and I,
0: yeah I, I, of course during the pandemic this has not been possible anyway <laughs> so we've all started listening to more music online and um, and i guess looking at art online which we might come back to you know later on and um, so you wouldn't for example have
1: ambient music in your gallery space no, not really. I mean, sometimes we do, uh, but there are a few artists that we like, so a lot of Afrobeat artists, so yeah. somebody like Burner Boy, like he's one artist I do like yeah. uh, so far. When I say I do like, it's because I can go through his album and actually listen to every song. Yeah. Whereas a few other artists where it's like, okay, there's only one song that yeah. you might like and then you try to listen to the next. Yeah, and, and that, that's changed, of course. When I, when I was your age if I may say so
0: you know I was listening to vinyl albums and singles and uh, you listen to the whole record and you had to literally lift the stylus off the vinyl if you wanted to play your favourite track obviously with Spotify like my son <clears throat> who's like 23 he, he's grown up basically listening to singles, he doesn't really have a concept of an album. Mm. Although occasionally he might listen to some of my old favorites like Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd that have become like modern classics, if you like. But other than that, I don't think a lot of people of his age group have a concept of of an album as being like an artistic creation, which is um, greater
1: than the sum of its parts, if you like. No, it's very true. And I remember (coughs) because when we were younger, so I have one sibling, which is a sister, and she is more into music than I am. Mm-hmm. And we used to go to MTV. I mean, the club, not MTV, what's it called? Uh, HMV. HMV, yes, Sorry. MTV's the okay, yeah, yeah, video exactly. channel. So HMV, the record store on Oxford exactly. Street. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I used to go to buy a few DVDs to watch, yeah. whereas she would go for the music. Yeah. And I always remember they, they used to have CDs for albums that were, I think, about 10 quid. And then they used to have singles that were about two pounds. That's right. So I'm guessing from that the culture started as well that you'd only buy the singles and you'd yeah. only focus on those. Exactly, exactly.
0: I I remember when I was when I was really little and this is really going to age me. I've got three older sisters and they were in their teens and there was this band, new band called the Beatles, and I remember them. They get the single. 45 RPM down. we had a, a local record store which everybody had used to have just down the road it wasn't like a big HMV and uh, they'd go down on a Saturday morning and spend their pocket money on a new single and I remember them bringing back this thing called She Loves You <laughs> and we were all done I remember it's one of my earliest memories, dancing in front of our stereogram, you know, in the front room. But then, of course, um, then when they could afford it, and it tended to be a Christmas or birthday present in those days, you know, okay. most people just couldn't afford the album. So we get the albums for Christmas. <laughs> That's the way that worked. Very different world to today, really. Um, and um, uh, Khalil, um, move, moving closer now to what the podcast is about, can you remember when
1: you first became interested in, in visual art? So, ever since I was born, really, I was Mm. basically born into the art world. Because, so, the gallery was founded by my dad. So, we've been established since 1992. That's when the gallery initially was founded in Lagos, Nigeria. And, uh, I mean, myself, I'm born in 92. Mm. So, our house used to be on top of the gallery. So, you'd enter through the gallery and then we had a space upstairs where the flowers. So, that was my entire life where I used to live so ever since I was a kid there was always art 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 and what's that like contemporary African art it's both so my dad it's contemporary African and then also a bit of antiquities but ever since the 90s yeah it was all contemporary so we had a lot of, artists that are known now people like Ele for instance Mm. Uh, we have a piece that was exhibited at the gallery in 1996 wow very early Ele exactly so (laughs) before he was established worldwide basically Uh,
0: can you remember was that one of his sort of signature works which is right there that's the one yeah. so it's actually a wooden so it's a sculpture. okay so people listening to the podcast I'm now I'm in Signature Gallery with Colour which is really nice as we come out of the pandemic we can do these uh, you know in real spaces rather than on zooms you could probably hear with the acoustics it's a little bit echoey um, the, the the gallery is basically like a like a kind of white cube space the walls are white there's there's wonderful uh, Contemporary art paintings hanging on the walls. Uh, we'll speak about maybe the current exhibitions later on. But in the in the corner, just before you go down the stairs, there's a basement section to the gallery as well. Um, is this wonderful kind of tree, wooden carving. I don't know what the tree wood is, whether you know that. Do you know uh, what it might be? Would it be local Nigerian wood? It is local wood, correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but
1: uh, Elenatsui, he's not Nigerian, so he's Ghanaian or that's right, he's Ghanaian, but he works and his studio is in Nigeria. Okay, so he himself, not sure how he identifies whether partly Nigerian, partly Ghanaian, or whether fully Ghanaian, not exactly how he identifies, but he has lived for a very, very long time in Nigeria, yeah, so uh, That's where this comes from. So this piece, a particular piece, was exhibited at the gallery in 1996. It was part of a group show. Yes. And, uh, I mean, look, the story dates back. (laughs) Even now, I see artists that used to work at the gallery, uh, or used to exhibit at the gallery, and you're talking maybe late 90s, that I would recognize now, and they will have no idea who I, um, who you until are until I tell them, and then they remember when they used to see me. As a kid. Oh, those were the days,
0: yeah, exactly. that, that lovely gallery in Lagos. In, yeah, that's so. And, and um, there is the Pope, there's a circular kind of almost like classic gray marble base is that part of the work no no it's not that's just a display stand. okay it's just a display stand but what i'm looking at is um is 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 a, about kind of knee level as it were this this beautiful kind of um like modernist perhaps um, portrait bust begins like with looks like a cloak over shoulders and a quite long neck carved out of the wood elinatsui who's carved it i can see that he's worked with the grain of the wood. it's really beautiful and there's this beautiful um head like with the top which is just the grain of the wood that i can see inside it almost like cut off um which makes it very modern looking almost like an antiquity a broken antiquity but with this beautiful african uh physiognomy Face, I think it would be fair to say there. Yeah, correct.
1: It's really stunning. That's meant to be inside the mind. So, yeah, you can see it here. Uh, inside the mind, so at the top, yeah. there are all these like. Uh,
0: oh, it's like a brain.
1: Yeah. Yes, correct. it's, so it's exactly. as
0: though the head has been sliced off by a surgeon, with a brain surgeon, and correct. you can see what looks like the marks of, a, exactly. of the interior of the brain.
1: That's so stunning. Yeah, this was Elves' uh, medium before he moved into more yeah. metal. Because if I showed this to my students, they, they almost certainly wouldn't recognise
0: it. If I said this is a famous African artist, they might guess. <laughs> because a, a, one of the things we might talk about, you know, we, in the traditional Western cultures, if you ask people to, to give a list of 10 like living African artists they probably couldn't <laughs> um, I mean and that is improving obviously at the moment but they would probably they, if I said it's a famous Ghanaian artist they might well say an Eleonatsui but it doesn't look like an Eleonatsui through our eyes we think of his work being these kind of draped um, reused um, you know metal tops to wine bottles he also
1: has the wooden panels and, oh he has the okay. wooden panels that's true so he started those as well
0: so uh, yeah yeah of course
1: We got told those. quite a few people Yep. Now do them. How to uh, carve exactly those yep. wooden panels made out of burnt wood. But yeah, he, he started those as well. So. where is he now living? Uh, you know he's over? in Nigeria. He's, he's
0: still in, in Nigeria. Yep. He's still yep. in a yeah. studio in yes. I think I think October Gallery represents him in London if I remember right. In yeah.
1: Europe, yes. Yeah. In October have him here, Jack Shaman have him in the States. And I think it's Goodman that have him in Africa. Yeah. Actually, what I was going to ask you, Khalid, while, while I
0: think about October Gallery, I have a current student who's Nigerian that you may have heard of his... I just wonder if you've heard of his father. His name is Ni Odoi Glover. I don't no, know whether you... Professor Odoi you know. Glover. Yeah, exactly. His father's Odoi Glover. And uh, he's currently... Um, he's currently, like, interning at October Gallery, which he emailed me and said represents his mm. father's work, you know, before he comes to study. So... I don't know whether you've heard. I, I, I don't know. I am not knowledgeable enough about African art to. Uh, that.
1: So I mean, he goes by the name of Professor <laughs> Ablati Glover Glover, but yeah, yeah, I think it's pronounced Glover. Yes, and it's a funny story because uh, again, so this we go back to the 80s now. So mm. uh, my dad was obviously back then. You didn't have a lot of Instagram and social media, anything. So nope. to try and track a lot of these artists, so it will have to be air or by road where my dad would travel. So he went to Ghana and this was even prior to the gallery opening and then he met Glover there and then he bought numerous, numerous paintings. Wow. And then he brought them back to Nigeria. Now a lot of Nigerians at the time were not happy, like why are you buying a Ghanaian artist? We have our own artists here. But then he started to get as many artists. So you have people like Mukasa from the east and then Glover is from Ghana. And he used to try and get as many artists from as many countries as he could and then he would exhibit them in, obviously in Lagos. So Glover is one of them. I mean, we have pieces of his dating back from the 80s. Uh, so you're going way back as well. Uh, we still have a very good relationship with him as well. We had... We sold one of his pieces actually, one of his older pieces recently. And uh, yeah, we have a couple of his works here. So I know he's also represented, I think... In Europe as well, I'm not sure, by October. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what other representations he has, but he's famous for three main, uh, it's the same medium, but three main uh, painting descriptions. First one being forests, second one being uh, women in profile, Mm -hmm. and the third one being market scenes. So he was the original guy to have started the whole market scene uh, aspect in painting in West Africa and a very important figure therefore and so exactly. later in
0: the year when Ni his son is is, is, is working with me we will we'll definitely come and visit you and uh, I don't know Ni might well have been in here I'd be surprised if he hasn't but uh, mm. you know that's something we're obviously to later in the year maybe with some other students that'd be nice for you to meet him if you haven't met him yet um, well um, speaking of which in terms of like me is coming to study our MA in art business at Sotheby's Institute of Art um, and, um, and I think that's in connection with, with his father's work you know representing his father as, a, as an artist um, and, um, uh, but your educational studies I think you've got you,
1: you, did, you didn't study like history of art like a lot of my students no so uh, I remember because I was englobed in the arts well, ever since I was a kid. When I went to university, I do not want to go back directly into art. I do not want to just have the same path from a kid all the way without trying other things. Mm-hmm. And I was really good in sciences, so I decided to go into engineering. Mm-hmm. So I studied here in the UK uh, civil engineering, and then I got a master's degree from Manchester, and then I decided to work into that field as well. So I just wanted to gain experience in something else yeah and I managed to do that so I worked successfully for British company for five years Mm -hmm. and then after that gained as much experience as I wanted at the time and then I was comfortable then just to move back into more familiar territory Mm -hmm. so then I then came back into the art world
0: yeah and you said that the gallery opened in Lagos in Nigeria as early as 1992 so could you say something about about Opening signature gallery in Davis Street in Mayfair in London. When did how did that come about and when?
1: So uh, when I decided to leave my job in construction, we started to do feasibility studies. So that's where a lot of the planning starts, and it takes a long time. And it took us best part of a year to eventually. So. We always wanted London because as a family, we have close affinity to London. And obviously it's a massive art scene. Uh, But because we already knew London, uh, we are comfortable trying to find a few areas. So again, it took many, many, many months trying to find a location. And so we tried, we went through Chelsea, we went through Kensington, we went obviously a bit through Mayfair. But West End rather than East End. Because that's what we know. Yeah. So uh, we live in the northwest. Yeah. So yet again, so we know London is massive. Yeah. So uh, honestly, if you mentioned to me east or even south, it would be really, really hard for me. So mm-hmm. eventually, I mean, even we tried, I think, in Fulham at the time, mm-hmm. and it's just because those are the areas that we know, those yeah. particular areas, were the yes. ones we knew. And then uh, it was just about hard to find. And then obviously, you come through the aspect whether you want a gallery that's smaller but in a better location, or you want something slightly bigger in a less known location, less visible. Yeah. So, we didn't rule anything out at the time. We just wanted to see what's out there. And then eventually, we were walking by Davies Street one day. I think maybe we we're coming back from Cork Street because we did think. While there was a space, I think it's I think it's taken now. But it was in, next in the to, new development in Court Street. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But that was before Goodman took their space. Yeah. So it was the one right next to Goodman. Okay. And uh, was smaller. So Goodman have two floors, whereas yeah. that one was just one floor. I mean, based on that development, you can pick and choose how big you want your gallery to be. Yeah. Uh, you can go on the floor below, floor or one on top as well. Almost Uh, like units that you can
0: hire. I know Freeze has opened up a...
1: So opposite uh, the road, yeah, on Street as well, but opposite uh, on the other side of the pavement. Freeze do have one small uh, space, actually. Yeah, as opposed to
0: the new redevelopment on the other side of the road. But why didn't you select that space in the end? You saw this and preferred it.
1: So, yeah, so initially we had seen that one, and then we thought long and hard about it. But then I wasn't that comfortable with Cork Street. I mean, I respect it totally for the gallery set of there. But then as far as the street comes, I I like having a space where I actually walk into the, into the street and you just feel comfortably feel like there's a lot of life there. And, don't know, and Davies Street itself, I just feel much more relaxed on Davy Street, whereas Cork Street, you're very closed out. Obviously anywhere that goes there is mainly for the art scene and then... There's very particular people that would actually go through Coke Street yes so that's why I was not that keen in Coke Street when I. but we were still thinking about it but then when we saw Davies Street and you know when you actually see a gallery so it was obviously closed at the time And but we asked to see it and then when you see it and the way it was laid out and the street it's on obviously you have Kagoshi next to you, you have Sally Coles you have yeah Auction House
0: down the road House. yeah and other, other newer galleries like J.D. Mallet correct. just down the road yeah. so uh,
1: yeah. John David yeah and,
0: and, and, and a couple of um, antiquities galleries on the way down Mansour and there's Yakov I think correct. as well down. And, and of course in Three Kings Yard we've got Charles Eads which is a very traditional London dealer in western antiquities
1: correct and then even opposite the Claridge's you have Paracad Gallery so that's another yeah. massive antiquities one uh, so yeah but it wasn't just that that made it. It's just the road itself. Like walking down Davies Street mm. is something I really enjoy doing. Like I, I, love this street. It is. It has a sense of. I think because of Claridges is
0: probably the kind of, the the the, the kind of cultural hub in some ways. If, to me, as a Londoner, you know Claridges has always been the posh hotel, the place where you 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 you, you go for cocktails when it's a special event or meals and so on. Um, and you've got a lot of kind of like very VIP travelers, I guess, staying in the hotel. Do do any of them ever come in here? Do you, have you,
1: They do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they did initially, so obviously. With lockdown, obviously, yeah. they were closed for a while. But of before course. lockdown, quite a few VIPs did come. Yeah. Uh, even after that, because they bought a few of our pieces that yes. they have in the corridors. Yes. And oh, carriages, uh, carriages, so purchased materials, and of course, they've just
0: opened up this. Deep basements space, which they've mm-hmm. excavated under Claridges, mm-hmm. which recently had a Damien Hirst show. Which a couple of my students, um, uh, Theo and Colin, they were they were not the curators, but they were the people that showed us round when I took okay. my students down
1: there. So and yeah, so big extension. I'm mean, I'm not sure if the extension was only maybe it was only the basement, but I thought that they also extended even the top floors up. Yeah. because it was quite big. It's and incredible what they've done beneath it. Have you been in that? Did you go to the Hearst? No, no, no. <laughs> it's,
0: it's literally deep down in the ground. Apparently there are more floors below it. Whether mm-hmm. they're going to have some underground swimming pool is possible. That's why there's so much work going on in that mm-hmm. side street,
1: carriages, but yeah. They have a big art collection, carriages and stuff. Yeah. like They're very into the arts. Yeah. So, yeah, so there are a few clients that stayed there, I'm guessing, on the floors with these works. But there's one actually in front of the staircase, sort of the main staircase, and uh, so yeah, so they saw it, and they were so. Through that, they then came here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we actually
0: sold a piece through. Presumably, it. you can't name any names. These are just well-known celebrities.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And not even necessarily celebrated, just like, let's say, high net. Or or high-end sure. high, high end art collectors
0: and, and so on. Yeah, the um, you know the chandelier, the Chivoli j- chandelier? Mm. That was an alumna of mine who was working for the London designer Oliver Laws at the time, and she was the person that selected the art. So she selected the Chivoli and helped to install it. And she had these great stories about the difficulties installing that chandelier. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah. So, what year was it? Signature opened. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. In in. So, literally only. Literally just before the lockdown. So, Correct. what? How did you feel when suddenly you realised there was going to be this lockdown? As a as a
1: gallerist? Um. Obviously, you have. like, you can't plan for it. Like, no matter what anybody says, when the thing hits, you have no idea. Firstly, because. This was in March, the beginning of it, like nobody really had a proper idea whether first how long it would last. Yeah, we all thought it'd be over very soon. Exactly. <laughs> Four weeks, <laughs> revisit it. it. So many people thought a month. Yeah. And then you obviously have no idea uh, in regards to help the government might help you with or mm-hmm. in regards to uh, maybe dealings with your landlords or anything in that sense. And then obviously you then have uh, selling of the art, your artists doing exhibitions, obviously. You'd have to do more online exhibitions mm. now. And you already had a website, so there wasn't an issue with... No, so you, so you have the website, of course, yeah. when you first open, and you're on RxC as yeah. well. That's a big, big saving grace because yes. RxC connects the collectors to the gallery. That's right. In I, a very easy way. Yeah, Virginia Dampster that I...
0: Done a podcast for she was saying she used RC as well at the moment lockdown occurred and it was very useful. So, did you did you find that there were more clients? Some, some, you know some of the big
1: auction houses
0: their, their their clientele went up massively because of people sitting at home
1: online. So this is where I tell you you can't predict because we then after do the, so before that we weren't selling much on Artsy. But after the lockdown then sales went through the roof, especially on artsy or through artsy. And then a lot of collectors, because they didn't have any other choice, were buying online and they were more comfortable. This is something they weren't comfortable with doing. Now obviously your major galleries are like your Gagosians, then all of a sudden anybody that they might exhibit, these collectors would be comfortable without even looking at the pieces, would be comfortable just to add them to the collection. Whereas when you have lesser known galleries or more up and coming artists, they always want to have a look at them in real life before going through the purchase. But due to lockdown, that mentality changed. And a lot of the auction houses as well had way more sales and also us as galleries, you had way more sales because all of a sudden, all these big collectors weren't really interested anymore in looking at these pieces face to face before going ahead. And they were just buying and it's continued. It hasn't changed up. So I think that now it shows that maybe it's just the mentality now, it's the full mentality. And so it just, it's not like it was a trend. So now it just seems we're out of lockdown and it's still continuing. So they're still very comfortable in just procuring art online without actually seeing them in real life. And so that's been a major shift in the art industry uh, with galleries, with auction houses, with everyone. And that's something you couldn't have predicted uh, because nobody actually knew, especially the auction artists when they went online. It was very, they weren't sure at all Absolutely. whether they would be selling or how well
0: or anything. I think they were pleasantly surprised by the numbers that increased. And then on, on top of that, of course, just an externality really is the development of NFTs and digital art, which obviously assisted them. Did you, do you represent digital artists
1: or have any of your artists created NFTs? as you know so this whole nft world it's it's gone into such a craze now but i just feel like it's so misrepresented because obviously so it seems like they want to divide between nft world and the traditional world that we have mm-hmm. now from my camp, I don't mind NFTs at all. I do think that they will have a place in the future, 100%. I just think that right now, the people are finding it so hard to accept. And that needs to change. But the people in the NFT space that are already there, a lot of the big players that are doing things that are wrong. So like let's say they're buying pieces and then they're selling them to themselves 100 times the price, you know. Like these uh, crypto punks, mm-hmm. One sold for, was it 500 million or something? Mm-hmm. And it was to the same person that listed it and he didn't even make an effort to hide it. So these types of things is giving the whole digital world a bad name.
0: Yeah, because it's like financial speculation as opposed to, Correct. which can kind of get in the way of the fact that there's interesting art there.
1: Correct. But at the end of the day, I find that Fascinating. So now, obviously, it's gone into such an upward curve. It's gonna go down a bit, but then it will stabilize, and then that's how it will just I carry on eventually. It. Yeah, I think it will just become another another format,
0: another format, or genre of art, really. But I, I, honestly, I agree with you. I can't see it repli- And I can't personally. I can't see. We can talk more about this. I can't see it replacing this world, like you and me in this gallery, looking at the art in the gallery. But, but
1: it, it will not replace. But yeah. it will go hand in hand. Yeah. So uh, we will then be able to even exhibit the few galleries that have done it where you exhibit digital art the same way. Like there are so much innovative ways you can exhibit digital art. Yes. They've all been with respect to a lot of the shows I've seen about NFTs there haven't been many but I found them all quite a bit lazy. Hmm. It's just quickly okay let's get some TV screens and then yeah. put a bit there like no imagination and hmm. it's like that world like It's like endless possibilities, you know, endless collaborations. That's where I see the whole digital world going. You can collaborate so much. You can put an artist with a fashion designer, with Mm -hmm. brands, and everybody comes together to create something special. Yes. But that's not what's happening right now. They just all want to run into the money of it and just to get stuff out there ASAP. Yes. Without caring about the quality or doing anything new and innovative. Yeah that's why us as a gallery we haven't yet done it we are in process of thinking about ways of going into it mm-hmm. but when we do we want to do it right you know yeah. so not just to have one random artist jump on the bandwagon quickly and uh, yeah exactly just, just, just for no
0: reason fashion yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. which uh, that's something I'm not really okay with yeah. and I don't know and then with all these things it's funny because the whole digital world because I've done quite a of research everybody wants to say it's decentralized so <laughs> same thing with the artists so they're like, oh yeah, they're happy about not having galleries and sense because the artists themselves sell directly. But then the question goes to the clients, collectors, who are they buying? Like why are you buying this particular artist? And then you'll end up seeing that if these artists end up at the auction with Christie's or Sotheby's, all of a sudden their stock rises. So it's all well. So I feel like in this digital space at the moment, I feel like the auction houses have replaced galleries in being the ones to pick and choose which artists they like and to sort of drive up their careers. Yeah. So in this particular world right now.
0: I was going to say most of those NFTs, a lot of the NFTs are actually being sold on the primary market by the auctions. The auction houses, which used to be a very rare occasion, like with the famous Hirst 2008 sale, primary market, most of it. Um, and so that's definitely happening with those objects. So I, I guess another thing you're getting at, Khalil, is that there's not this nice organic kind of gradual um, uh, development uh, of of artists in that world it's all very now and it could be you know what is going to validate those artists as well that's the other question
1: you know exactly. how so. and that's uh, a big big problem yeah. and unfortunately a lot of people are wasting the money at the moment <laughs> just with that uh, you know it's just like literally a shot in the dark you know yeah. like okay I'm seeing this particular artist selling for X amount and then this, this one piece is a bit cheaper so they pump the money into it and then tell that it's all. Yeah. I mean, I
0: I see, I always see these things gloss half full and I think, you know, I'm old enough and ugly enough now to have seen these kind of movements. So you get this initial movement, like sudden arrival on the scene with Charles Saatchi at the YBAs with all these controversial works, sensation at the Royal Academy in the late nineties. And, and that kind of then dies down. But it, the good thing about it is it makes everyone want to go and see contemporary art. So take modern opens in 2000 at the same time. There's a huge amount more footfall than they were expecting, partly because of those people. So there's never anything negative about that. And I suspect what will happen with the NFTs will be the same. I think it will introduce new people to the art world who will settle down and start coming into galleries like yours and actually looking at the... physical works
1: of art. No, 100%. And even your more established galleries, and we're talking like big blue chip galleries, because they're always in the lookout for new collectors. And they're now also trying to focus because new rich people now are mainly all in IT. So uh, whether that's tech or whether that's even with the blockchain, with crypto, one or another, they are trying to get hold of these collectors and introduce them into the world. So... Again, a lot of people have this misconception that, okay, because they made the money, let's say, in the blockchain with cryptocurrencies that they will only be interested in buying digital art. It's Mm -hmm. not either or. At the end, we're we're all in the same world. So these same people, if they did make a lot of money then, then they can easily be introduced into the physical world and they can have both digital and physical. So it's not either or. And that's something a lot of the galleries have already are working towards so a lot of them are partaking into new art fairs as well to try and get mm-hmm. hold of these people's attention and to potentially make them fall in love with the mm-hmm. artists as well so it's all going to stabilize into one market where everything goes hand in hand yeah so uh i'm not sure how long it will take but yeah it will happen eventually. <laughs> we shall we see coming back to what is really
0: important is which is your your artists and your your art. Do you see yourself since 1992? Is there a is there a signature? I hate to use this word, but is there a signature brand of artist? Is there a certain type of artist and type of art that Signature prefers to represent, or or or, or would you say it's more random? You know, not random, but it's kind of quite eclectic. And maybe you could talk about some of the, you know, the artists you represent, but also any, you know, the current show any forthcoming shows so the listeners might want to come down and visit you?
1: No, of course. Uh, I mean, when we're talking to the 90s, I mean, I'm a bit too young to remember that. So if you start from the 2000s, we do have our own taste, because at the end of the day, you are the gallerists. So you decide artists that you would like to work with Mm -hmm. based on their style and then based on your own personal taste. Like it just depends from our personal view how wide our taste is in art. Now I say it's quite wide because we do like to showcase quite a lot of things at the gallery. And uh, but one of the main things is we try to make sure, well, we make sure that the standard is at the highest. Yes. So from my point of view, when I came into this, I realized very quickly that. The most important thing for me first and foremost is I like the artist as a person. Interesting. That's it. And that's that
0: traditional artist deal, a collector relationship, that triangular relationship, which has been there since Duran
1: Roel, maybe Perfect. earlier. And this is something I think maybe I even learned through construction was look, in construction, you'd have different characters every few months, you're on a new job, you have new subcontractors, new contractors, and you'll constantly have clashes. And then Going to the art world, there are so many, so many talented artists that you get to the point where we're in a very privileged position where we can actually choose who we want. And I feel like life's too short to go first with an artist that I don't like as a person. So that's first and foremost. Like the artist has to be a very, very nice person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once that box is ticked, then I'm very happy to then go through the art and to actually see whether... Uh, we see a lot of potential in these artists because the thing we do is we work a lot with these artists to try and improve them whereas many galleries don't really a lot of the time they just take a hands-off approach we are very much hands-on Yeah. and uh, so a lot of the works that we even accept at the gallery are very, very, very selective mm. and uh, so and then it's again different models different business models even from the lagos gallery to here mm-hmm. so here it's only exhibition programs mm-hmm. all the time we only showcase our exhibition mm-hmm. whereas in lagos it's a more different model where uh you have a small space for exhibitions and they have maybe about four or five a year now but apart from that it's just mainly showcasing uh, pretty much all the art they have on show yeah uh all the new it's artists almost like a habits. kind of validating
0: museum the, right. the original Lagos signature yeah, yeah, where yours I mean. is at the cutting edge of you know mm-hmm.
1: in London yeah because is, yeah. We, we need to follow how the rest of let's say London does the rest mm-hmm. of Europe so here's very much exhibition very much opening nights very much shows yeah. that's what people love that's what people like and you're part of the Mayfair weekends
0: all of these kind of art weeks and weekends that have opened up Exactly well.
1: and uh, yeah and uh, so that's why so this business model is different. so our whole model is actually completely different to how Lagos is. Yeah. and Lagos is that way because that's how it is in Nigeria. yes and here it's this way because that's yeah. how it is in Europe. So you respond to different cultural locations as well. Exactly yeah and uh, that's very important you know yeah. because at the end that's what people are used to that's what people like yeah uh, so yeah so you have to adapt. I guess, um, uh,
0: you know, uh, another thing that happened during the pandemic was, of course, BLM, Black Lives Matter. And I, I remember in your window seeing a BLM, uh, a work of art, in, in the window. W- would you like to talk a little bit about that, about whether that changed anything, either in your art, your, the art your artists were producing or in your, your attitude or the, uh, the attitude of collectors? Do you think it did boost, um, you know,
1: interest in African art? firstly uh, if you start with the gallery it didn't change anything for us as a gallery in the sense I remember I had an interview with a magazine I think (laughs) I'm not sure if that question ever got published but I was asked uh, do you feel like I'm not sure what the question was but in (laughs) the sense like do you feel like you're going with this wave? Yeah. And my thought process, I was like, well, our gallery has been open since 92. Like, <laughs> it was already like, there. You're exactly, not going to jump like, on the bandwagon. Like yeah. It. So we're born and raised there yeah. in Nigeria. My dad, his lineage is from Sierra Leone. My mother's from Nigeria. Mm. And all of our artists are from the continent. So... At the end, we're showcasing what our artists want the world to see. Mm -hmm. And they are getting their own messages across. Now, these messages have been coming across from when we opened. Of course. 90s, 2000s, the past decade. So now the world, all of a sudden, mainly because of George Floyd, decided to wake up exactly (laughs) to the whole uh, BLM movement. Mm. And then... uh, was to an exhibition with that where we had uh, very, very powerful pieces. I mean, for our, that particular exhibition, it's one of my proudest moments because we got uh, Alistair Smart from the Telegraph who gave us a four star rating for the particular exhibition. And we mm-hmm. partnered with Ava DuVernay on that as well, which was massive. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, so we've continued before that even. In, you're talking in March of that year, when we had one of our first major solos here by Omofemi. the title was The Way We Were. And it's about the importance of black identity as well. So that's before lockdown, even before the whole BLM movement. Yes. So my thought process was, we literally had a show right before it, about it, Yeah, a lot of the magazines and stuff weren't too bothered about picking it up as well but it's just because after George Floyd it got so highlighted that everybody decided to focus on that yeah it's always I
0: always think it's a shame that you know particularly like with public galleries which are which are academic people who are objective and usually kind of left to centre usually quite radical political views why don't they you know why do they have to wait until you get the death of Floyd before they jump on that and they have jumped on that bandwagon having said that to be fair Tate's, when Tate Modern opened, I think Nicholas Sorota was criticized for having too much Western modern contemporary art tradition and did actually open an African department. So maybe that's a little unfair, but the feeling I always get is they should be in the avant-garde of this. And quite often actually it's, uh, you know, galleries and dealers like you working
1: in a more commercial world that are ahead of the game. I mean, uh, I remember during lockdown, like, don't get me misquoted because I, I never did the research on that but I think mm-hmm. was it the Tate or I'm sure it was that there were a lot of complaints that they didn't have enough uh, black curators it's in general isn't even it? the curators the directors yeah like, exactly yeah. and so not sure whether they just a or or... It's about diverse, or, yeah, exactly. The they had no, yeah, no, yeah the stuff are yeah. not diverse especially yeah. at higher level. Yeah, and uh, I mean I know that from construction. Anyways, like yeah. you don't even have to go to the art world, <laughs> or even the construction. And I used to tell my employees at the time I used to be like, I feel like there is a glass ceiling here because yeah. there is no one. Forget even us minorities like uh, anyone from Africa or from Arab descent. Forget that even women, mm. and we're talking construction business. Yeah. And like it's even there's a certain level where you had no women, yeah. I mean, obviously, no minorities at all, that's a a given, (laughs) but no women, yeah. And you're like, all right, uh, there is no way any of us will ever progress Mm. because, at the end, the way these things work is if you're a minority, you get to a high position, Mm. you do want to raise up few of your own people as well mm-hmm. to come again that's how these things become more diverse Yeah. so uh, look again going back to the question about BLM so now ever since so as far as the gallery goes as I said nothing changed because it's been the same before and after mm-hmm. institutions they have changed because okay. you can tell like they're more open to diversity yes. and they're more conscious yeah. to be making these moves so yes mm-hmm. and then in regards to African markets African arts market yes again there is there seems to have been uh, a big interest in uh, in African artists.
0: And and a lot of that is that I just immediately after the Floyd incident and the beginning of Black Lives Matter immediately in like the Financial Time weekend, uh, you know, which has a lot of art um, discussion in it, immediately you start seeing this conscious effort to, to show more African artists. <laughs> and, you know, again, it's sort of like, almost like shut, we have this phrase, shutting the gate after the horse has bolted, you know, that why wasn't that happening before is my question, but at least it's happening and we have to be positive about it and it's great. You know, if it's, if it's come out of cynicism, I think it will have a positive effect and w- hopefully we will be more aware of diversity and our colonial past, you know, if you're coming from the UK as I do, you know, I think it, and as a white Western male, you know, it, it, it does kind of wake you up more, but I, I like to think that I was always, a, you know, quite diverse in my attitudes before that, <laughs> but a lot of people weren't. Um, and, you know, with my students, part of their education is they're from all over the world. Um, and they, they, they have their own little issues, you know, with other, with other people that <laughs> they don't particularly, they traditionally haven't liked. And, you know, we try to get them to think ethically about who the, who it is that they're working with and dealing with. So on an educational level, I'd like to feel that we're part of that uh, increasing diversity and decolonization as well. But um, it, just a few more questions, Khalil, before we... And finish. Um, I, I think you don't. I, you, you don't do art fairs, do you? And
1: uh, uh, we do. So uh, you do we do did, art fairs, uh, We've done one five four previously. We've done. Art oh, one f- five four Of course. Yeah, yeah. we've yeah. applied this year to yeah. hopefully being freeze. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, what and that happened? would be freeze London. Freeze London. Yeah. Yeah. So the application was submitted two weeks ago yeah speaking, I'm not sure what the deadline was but yeah, uh, yeah I think it was two weeks ago and that would be Freeze Contemporary as opposed to Freeze Masters mm, yeah freeze contemporary. Yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah and yeah another point as well going back to African art which mm. so many people believe that it's just like oh it's like very new and now uh, it's like when you go back uh, this, we won't go into debt with this, but when you go back to the British Museum and then you see all the pieces that were looted. But the point was that you're talking 18th century, 19th century, Yeah. there was so much powerful arts and this is just Nigeria. Yeah. You have so much powerful art and then you go through Egypt, you had so much and every other country had their own artifacts. We have massive, massive talent yeah. on the continent. And it's not just something new, you know? Yeah. And this is something great, you know, because at the end, they're just showcasing their talent. They're comfortable now showcasing their own talent, their own way that they don't need to adapt to anyone, which is the most important, because then we have our own culture, we have our own way of life. And that's just the best thing, but it's like very important that everybody knows that the the way of producing art now has been coming from centuries and centuries, so it's evolved, evolved, but that's all. From African countries, it has its own art. Exactly, we have our own roots yeah. that we started in the 18th century, even before. Yeah. But like when you go through what's he in the museum from Bini, for example, when you have all the all the carvings and everything, now you've seen a lot of paintings and works, even sculptures. I and mean, some of the strongest sculptures I've ever seen in my life have come from the continent, Absolutely. like. The carvings they do—it's
0: mm-hmm. just incredible. Yeah, and you can see that the uh, elenatsu I'm looking at again is part—is definitely part of that generic tradition of African wood carved sculpture that goes back many centuries. Um, but most of us are, are educated in art history and from a very Western viewpoint. Um, earlier in the year, I had to do a very short course at Salisbury Institute on global global art history. And um, and it was really interesting because I realised there wasn't one. So the, the course that I and I got guest lecturers in. What we did is we kind of thought about how, what would a global art history look like because it isn't written. We we didn't have time to prepare it. So we the discussion with the um, with the the, the, the the students was 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 really interesting because it was actually investigating deconstructing the Western tradition and thinking what will it look like would I ever be able to be a part of writing that in the future? Maybe I don't have time, but people must make time to start writing those <laughs> types of history. There, there is one, actually. My, the book I always recommend to students who haven't done any art history, uh, we sometimes get, is Honor and Fleming's World History of Art. And, and I think they the first edition was probably in the 80s, and it, they, they revise it. But um, even the first edition, when I looked at it, I mean, it's written by two, two men, um, but even the first edition does actually deal with... I looked through the number of women artists, for example, that were in the modern contemporary sessions of the photographs, and it's pretty equal. Um, And there's, there's, there's a lot of useful material on what we've been talking about, traditional African art. So there are people there who have been doing this, but it's not something that orthodox art history, Western... University departments have never really, really taken on board. and obviously now that's another thing that will happen, I think is that you will begin to see art history departments doing a lot more, not just on contemporary and modern say African art, but from other kind of global forgotten art histories. And I think that will become, I think in 10 years' time you'll be at, you won't see Western art history anymore. that's what I'm hoping.
1: <laughs> no, we, we had the previous show we did with Toje, Toge, uh, mm-hmm. History on told. Yeah. which was, again, to encourage having more African history into the UK curriculum at the time. Exactly, I remember like, that. I mean, I studied in Lagos, so we had our own history, and it was in French school, so we did have quite a lot of history being taught. But apparently here in the UK, like, I was shocked, there's so many things that apparently weren't taught, and these yeah. were from people schooled in the UK, that Absolutely. were, like, basic things. I'm not even yeah. talking about clever stories these yeah. are the most basic stories that we were taught when we were like 11 12 years old and nothing yeah we're
0: just ignorant of the whole african history forget the art exactly and another thing i i i often recognize is that we didn't you know we're a christian nation um nominally um and yet we're never taught byzantine art and i think that's because it's on the other side of the Dardanelles, on the other side of the Hellespont, which has always been this divide between Asia and Europe. Um, you know, why don't why don't we why weren't we taught a Christian art form that was huge and from an empire that lasted longer than most empires? <laughs> you know, and, uh, do you, do you see what I'm saying? And, and okay. for, you know, Africa's another thing, <laughs> but you know, we weren't even taught about our whole history of Christianity and Christian culture. <laughs> I mean, It just feels yeah. I mean, yeah. That's so all the podcasts. So Khalid, just to finish with, um, do you want to just say a little, few words about some up, and, uh, the the up and coming, you know, s- the future shows that you're going to have in your gallery that listeners might want to yeah.
1: come and look at. Uh, we have a solo show opening next week uh, by Nigerian artist uh, called Yakub Karim. Mm-hmm and then we have our first Rwandan artist so she's a photographer as well we'll first solo show here by photographer that will be in june mm-hmm. and then we have a whole list as well of solo shows with uh, ibyo bright we have one by omofemi one by Damilo edun we have uh, we have one by a nigerian artist called simon as well I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone. We have a very, very busy program. Again, anyway, I think listeners can, can exactly. check your it's website. all on the website. Yeah. So we have Signature. all the forthcoming ones as well yeah. on the website. Uh, so you can obviously have a look at it. And any questions, anything, please feel free.
0: Yeah, no, do. Um, Khalil, as you can see, is very welcoming and would love to see you in his gallery, I'm sure. <laughs> I will certainly be bringing a small group of students down uh, later in the year. And um, we're looking also... Forward to the the summer season and the Mayfair Art Fair, and hopefully seeing you at Freeze. We we Hope keep, keep our fingers crossed that that they select you. Um, so, Khalil, thank you very much for being my guest today on this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's been such an interesting journey, this discussion, and I think one that hopefully we will pick up on again um, in, in the future. So, thank you very much. Thank
1: you, David. Thank you.